Good afternoon. I'm very excited to have the lovely Trevor with me today. Hiya, Trevor. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, hello, Donna. Thanks for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for, for a while. Um, my name's Trevor Belshaw, T.A. Belshaw, author name, also known as Trevor Forrest when I write for, for kids. Um, I'm as old as the hills now. I've been writing for about 14 years. Um, the first 15 books I wrote were all for children. Uh, and then I did a switch, something happened in my life, and uh, I did a switch and wrote a couple of short things, short novellas for adults, uh, which went down quite well. And then I had a five-year break and came back to it in 2020 uh, with my Unspoken trilogy, uh, followed up by a Christmas story with the same characters, and then um, two 1939 murder mysteries with... A couple of the characters from those books as well so um and they've gone down quite well so I'm, I'm quite pleased with all that did you always know that you wanted to be a writer pretty much i used to i never stopped reading when i was a kid from when i could first string a few words together i didn't read anything from the Josh william books enid blyton anything like that the back of cornflakes packets when i was eating my breakfast sort of thing like you know i even do that i can remember reading about uh, periods once in my mother's woman's own magazine because it was like, <laughs> it was in there and it was something to read. None of it sunk in, I had no idea. I still didn't realise when I was, <laughs> when I grew up what it was all about. But um, uh, yes, that was that was a sort of object lesson, turning around to your mother and saying, what, what's that? Um, yeah. I had my first go at writing when I was about nine um, and wrote a few short stories. I was, I was always getting good marks in, you know, English and composition and what have you at school. Uh, and I was fixated about writing about spaceships being attacked by these giant space octopuses and um, sucking the life out of the system and stuff like that. So, um, so that's what I started. And I always wanted to be, always dreamed of actually having seen a book in a shop one day. And uh, I was never sure it was ever going to happen. But um, that, that sort of stayed with me. So what made you sit down one day and think, OK, today's the day I'm going to finally write my first book? Uh, it was having the time to do it. Uh, that, that was, it's as simple as that, really. I was, always wanted to do it. Um, I used to work away from home. Well, family got in the way, family life as it does. You know, you're bringing your kids up, you've got to work all the time. Um, you don't get, you know, you're just tired at night time when you come home. Then I, then I, to earn a bit more money, I started working away for a few years. And while I was doing that... Uh, I was stuck in a hotel room at night and I was working ideas out of my head, jotting a few notes down, thinking, oh, when I get the time, I will definitely write this. Um, but the time never came. It really didn't. And it, it wasn't until 2008-9 when the crash hit. Uh, and I'd, I'd run in a one-man band computer repair business. Uh, and I went from having 30 jobs on the wall to none in the space of a few months. So much time on my hands and I... I my age, I was struggling to get another job. And when I did get one, it was a part-time one. So I didn't have time then. So um, that, that was the time I thought, you know, Dorian used to work. So I'd come home finishing work at one o'clock, sit down in front of the computer and just the dogs for, and the cats for company. And that was it. So I thought, you know, I've got the time now. So um, I did start there. And that's when I started. The Magic Molly books, the kids' books were the first ones I did, that little witch who couldn't control a wonky wand. Um, so, yeah, that, that was it. And I used to read them to the dogs. And when they didn't complain about it, I thought, that's pretty good. I think I've cracked it here. Like that. <laughs> uh, as I said, I was part of this online um, writers group I've joined called WriteLink. And met my editor there, Maureen Vincent Northern. She still edits all my books now. Um, and I've got so much advice from people. Um, about the writing craft. And it is a craft, it is an art. So a lot of people think they can just go into it and, you know, oh, I'm going to, that's, that's the thing you hear all the time as an author. When somebody finds out you're an author, it's like, oh, apart from asking you, uh, how many books have you sold this week? Why can't you find it in the chart sort of thing? The next thing is, um, oh, yeah, I'm going to write one one day as well. Like, you know, so, and you get that, you do get that all the time. So to be able to say that I've done it, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and I think I mentioned it to you just before when you realise that 99% of the world's population have never done it. It is something to be you know, quite proud about. And, and I am. Um, when you wrote your children's books, I'm guessing um, that your children were grown up. So did you use 
stuff that you'd experienced with them as kids or did you just completely have a random idea and decide to write that it's um i've got i don't know but this is not a sort of i've just got this ability to sort of think back to when i honestly i can i can slip back now to to my mind when i was like nine or ten years old and it's like i'm still in there like so i know what um interested me then and i know what what sort of thing i would i'd love to have read then that, that maybe wasn't about then sort of thing like you know so um i know what i found funny then the stupid jokes the the daft the little events that happen maybe off stage sort of thing like you know on the sidelines and stuff like this so I, I was I was able to um, slip into that, and uh, that that really was that was the reason I could the only reason I could do it because you you can't talk down to kids you, they um, they know when you're doing that everything has to be tied up as well you can't leave a loose end anywhere Every, everything has got to have a, a final point you know what I mean to it regardless the book's got to end at a certain in the right place things have got to happen in the right order you can't have these little nuance well you, you, you can do it but that's mainly for the parents when they're reading to the kids you can pull a few jokes in there for the adults sort of thing like you know so um yeah I could do that and um at the same time with the latter magic molly books when I, when I was on to about book five or six I started writing the Tracy's Hotbell one for writing I was putting up as a serial once a week uh, and that, that was a bit strange because I was then I had to get from being in a 10 year old kid's mind into Tracy's mind, who was a scatty um, 18 year old, just starting a first job with delusions of becoming a, a, a celebrity sort of thing. Right? So I had to get into her mind and come out of it back into the kid's one, like, you know, and then try and get it in his mind in the middle of it to keep my own sort of sanity sort of thing. Like, you know, so um, that, that was a good. Um, uh, exercise that and uh, it, it's still been good stead for writing the, la the later books because I can get in my, my favourite ever comment um, that I've got on uh, any of the reviews was uh, Trevor writes like a girl and I've I, when I read that I thought yes that's it like, you know I mean I've, I've got it I've got this right so um, I've sort of try and keep that sort of mentality when I'm uh, when I'm because most of my books um, just for all of them actually I've got uh, strong female leads the men are a sort of issue an added issue sort of thing like you know i mean on the side because it's, it's so so much more interesting to write on you know what i mean from a woman's perspective one because i don't have it and i have to try and work out what what they would do in a certain situation or what they would say so uh, yeah that's 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 been really interesting so you went from the kids books to the tracy's books which i've read and a complete departure from children's <laughs> books and then uh, you went from them to the, uh, the Unspoken Trilogy, and a wartime as well? Partly. It's a dual timeline timeline book. Um, That's right. Yeah. The whole series, yeah. Um, one half set in 1939, for 38-39, the first one, and the other half in 2020, just before COVID. In fact, COVID comes into the third book of the trilogy, so that's how up-to-date that is. Um yeah, so it, it did. It did because although it was Tracy's mad voice that was in my head, and because she, as you know, um, she's she's not the brightest knife in the sharpest knife in the knife in the drawer, shall we say? Um, <laughs> but she's got she's got a heart to gold sort of thing, right? You know. So, uh, but no, I did have to move on from 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 a scatty brain character to uh, to more grounded ones uh, for those books. And um, I think I, I think I did it right. I, I think I got it right. So, um, but no, no. Like as I was saying, I do I do find it so interesting writing from a female perspective. Much more interesting. when when something happens. Yeah, with a guy, you just uh, he's got tied up or whatever. He's stuck in the corner of a cell. He's going to find a way. It's brute force and ignorance and get yourself out of the bonds and punch the baddie and get out of there. Women wouldn't do that. They have to find a more nuanced way of uh, of getting through troubled situations and uh, and that's that's what I find as, and also the attitudes of men back then and and how they would react to what the men were saying to them because it was a normal everyday thing uh, to be tr uh, treated like doormats and that's all the other words um, they couldn't even have a bank account of their own unless the husband had died or something like you know and they've got three people to sponsor them and you know, or whatever whatever they weren't allowed to check all that's for certain like you know, they wouldn't be uh, left in charge of one of those. Um, yeah, the whole country would have come to its knees if women had been given checkbooks. 
Yeah, so, um, so yes, I, I did find like, see, I was born in the 1950s, so those attitudes, it was quite soon after the war, 1953, so it's only eight years after, and they were still fighting in Korea and what happened then, but um, so those attitudes were still prevalent, and they were like that, right, right through, even in the 60s when the pill came in, into the early 70s, things started to change then, thankfully. Um, women were getting better careers, uh, they weren't just sort of... Like Amy would love to join the police, Amy Rollins, back in 1930. No, she'd absolutely no chance. And the only, the only, the only job she'd get is sit there typing up an officer's notes, or to be there if a woman was being questioned, a vulnerable woman was being questioned, she could sit there making cups of tea for her, sort of thing, like you know, I'm a detective. So, and that really frustrates her. So, and she, she lets her, lets it be known that she's really frustrated by it as well. So, I say, thankfully, things did start changing in the 70s. Um, but. It's, it's the it's 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 that question of um, how they were treated and and what their responses would be to all those situations, knowing that they're not allowed to say certain things or not allowed to get angry about the situations and things like this. So, uh, and it, and that just proved quite a challenge to. You know, but like I said, I was born in the fifties. Those attitudes were still there when I was growing up. Men thought they ruled the house. In actual fact, women did. They controlled the purse strings. They decided what was spent on what. They decided how much could be put away for rainy days and stuff like this. All the bloke did was went to work, come back home, ate his tea and possibly went down the pub on a Saturday night and brag about how, his, you know, uh, how he rules the roost at home. So. And then when you wrote the Amy Rollins books, did you um, go into them, writing them as cosies or is that just how it turned out? Sorry, I just I didn't get that last part of the question. When you um, wrote the Amy Rollins books, did you intend to write them as cosy mysteries or is that just how it happened? I like the Amy character. Um, it was her character that, that, that sorted that out. She first appeared in the Unspoken book as a, just Alice's friend. She was just a, she had a bit part in that. But I was I honestly was fascinated. And in those books, I loved, I fell in love with Alice. I really did. And in all those books, she was, she was a wonderful person, absolutely fantastic. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about her, even when I was um, taking a break from in between books sort of thing. I was thinking about what she might be up to back there on the farm with the bombs coming down and all the rest of it like this. So, um, so she's going on through the war years. But Amy, she was such an interesting character. And as soon as I wrote about her, and, and she, uh, I just let her go and see what she wanted to do. And she came up with all, she was such a feisty character. And when she spoke to men and ordering them about and whatever, like, you know, and I thought, well, I can't, I can't just discard her she's got to do something like you know um and i was thinking of writing a sort of cozy crime because like i said my, a friend uh, of mine david rob david w robinson writes a lot of cozies those are modern day ones and i've read them and i, I don't do you know because I, I don't like really want to go into blood and gore and all you know describing corpses and all the rest of it or what somebody's done to a victim i didn't need it i didn't sit it so the cozy thing seemed the way to go and then Amy just popped up there and she didn't have to say anything to me. She just she was just there and that she was going to do it. She worked in a sewing machine factory. Well, she worked in a factory making garments every day. But she's way, way, way more than that. And um, although since I've you know, well, <laughs> couldn't get into university for a start, nobody, no working class person ever went to university back then. Um, so she's but she's got brains, she's bright, she's feisty, she knows what she wants. And she's mad on Agatha Christie. She can work out movie plots before the killer's even sort of wiped his shoes on the way out of the door sort of thing. Like she knows who's done it, even the back of his head or whatever it is, she can work it all out. <laughs> so, uh, and she uses, she uses Poirot to um, use these techniques to, to try and help Bodkin with the investigations. And it, and it, and it works. And she, she is the one who cracks the cases all the time, you know, I mean, it's not, um, Bodkin just follows around, really, like a little lost lamb just picking up the pieces where she's, uh, where she's stormed through <laughs> like a hurricane. Bless him. Mm -hmm. um, which character gave you most difficulty writing them? Ooh. Um, I think it's probably uh, Calvin from the Unspoken Books. Because I've, I've seen what um, men like that do to women. I've seen what's happened to the women and the, the way their lives end up. 
Um, because he's a narcissist, there's no two ways about it. And it was well hidden for the first two years of the relationship. And then suddenly it came out gradually. Uh, to tell her she can't wear perfume when she's going out on her own, even little things like this. He controls every aspect of Jessica's life. This is Alice's great, great granddaughter. Um, so he, I had to sort of learn a bit more about them because I knew, I knew basically what a narcissist was and a degree how they acted, but you, you've got to get it right, you know, and it's all the little nuanced things that they do. Things you wouldn't normally notice, but you do have to notice and, and put in there to, to bring the character, make the character alive. Because I had no experience in that myself. Um, then, but, and, and, and I can't say I knew men like it, but there's, there's lots of them, but they hide themselves away so well. And then, then when I did the research, I realised that the reason you don't know is because the only time you can pick them out is when they the blame is always on their partner all the time. It's never, ever, nothing's ever their fault, no matter what it is, no matter what they've done, it wasn't their fault. They were made to do it. And then I started to realise I did know people like that. So, um, and while I'm not one for using people I know as a character, uh, I will use a trait or two that they have and, and sort of amalgamate them into, to form the new character sort of thing like that. So he was difficult. Frank, um, Alice's partner, first love interest really although it wasn't much of a love interest the way things were um he was he was a little easier than calvin uh, because uh, like i say the the attitude of men back then i knew all about that from the 1950s so you knew how sort of sort of domineering they want they were he wanted control of the farm and alice wasn't gonna hand that over um and he was he became an abusive character but with him it was when he was in drink with calvin calvin was just like that all the time anyway um I read one review where uh, the lady said that uh, you can't say they were really bad characters they just made bad decisions now with frank that's right uh drink normally forced his hand but with calvin that's a different matter he although his boy he couldn't change yourself anyway, sort of thing like that. But, um, he, was, he, he, he was a difficult character, right? And it's somebody I didn't like. And normally, even, even my buddies, um, I quite like writing about them. Flawed characters, especially. But with him, I didn't like him. And, and at the end, I was pleased about it, that I kept him in there. Because I, I was, I was going to change him a few times, and I didn't in the end. I just hated him all the way through. And, and it came across because everyone else hates him and hates him as well. So, so it, it did work. Um, which of your characters would you most like to either go for a meal with or a boozy night out with? Basically, she'd drive me nuts. Um, so probably Amy, Amy I'm, I'm certain. Amy. I love Amy. She's, she's it at the moment. When I'm... When I'm <clears throat> when I'm writing about Alice, which I will do again, book four of the trilogy <laughs> will, will happen. And when I get back into Alice, then then I'll be in love with her again, sort of thing like that. But Amy will, Amy will still be in those books. Still playing a bit part, but she will be an important part of those books. But I think Amy, she's, um, it'll be like having Agatha Christie at the table, really, to be honest with you. You, know, you, you could ask her all sorts of things and she'd find an answer to everything. You know, she's in the books, in the unspoken books, and they sit around. Oh, and they, and they sit around listening to this um, 1938-39 radio programme where a detective, there's a murder committed or a crime committed, and the detective gives you clues and they have to sit around. Everyone, then they go quiet for a while, play a bit of background music while everyone at home jots down all the clues and works out who it did, who did it, sort of thing. Right? And she's the one straight away. She knows, she gets it right 100% every single time. Right? You know, she picks up the slightest things. So she would be great. Yeah, so I, would, I wouldn't mind sitting across that. Besides that, she's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous as well, sort of thing, like, you know, but that's that's irrelevant, really. Um, <laughs> she is, uh, I, yeah, I do like her. And, and I like what she, what she shows me, because that, I don't know these things before she tells me them, you know, I mean, I had to let her go, and she comes out with all these different wonderful ways of working things out with her, you know. I wouldn't have a dream of, I couldn't sit there and think, and I don't think that, I just um, let her go, I'll give her the problem and uh, see how she sorts it out, and, and she does, so. Do you hide any secret jokes, messages, or Easter eggs in your books? There is, 
I'm, I'm laughing because one or two people who be, oh, I know will be watching this afterwards, Paula uh, and Sarah, they know uh, who this, this is. I can't go into detail. I really can't. But I've tried to disguise them. And he's in the Tracy books. He isn't in the unspoken books or anything like that. But he is in the Tracy books, the newer ones. But I disguise them in different, in different guises, basically, different professions. Uh, he always looks the same, but he is. And it's somebody who's annoyed me for years and years and years now. Uh, and again, because this is going live, I'm not going to the reason or anything like that. Um, no, he, he is the most annoying person. Uh, and he, uh, all he does is suck the life and the money out of people. You know what I mean? So he, he, he really is. That's how he is. And Paula and Sarah will know exactly what I'm talking about. And they'll sit there laughing when they're in this because he appears five times in the last last Tracy book as different characters. So, <laughs> but every, they'll know by each character, they will know who he is. They will know they, because of a certain trait or something. Oh, I know they'll know that. But no, no, yes. So he is, he is hopefully, hopefully well hidden um, <laughs> in that book. Awesome. <laughs> um, how do you choose your character names? But um, like I think I like most I'll go back through um, I'll Google them for uh, female names. If I've got the year they were born, more or less, or how old they are, come nineteen thirty nine, or or even for um, the dual timeline ones to not uh, twenty 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 one now. So. The younger characters in that, I'll Google someone around about 1990 for the, you know, the best, the most popular names. And then I'll skip the first two pages and just hopefully look around something unusual. And if I can't find anything unusual, then I'm back up now. I'll, I'll go with one of them, the common names. I mean, I'll just obviously common name, name is a common name. They aren't all ladies, honestly. So. Um, and Jessica was a popular name around about 1990. So I do, uh, but... Um, I'm, I'm partway through writing a gothic Victorian ghost story. Uh, it's called Sad Lisa, based on an old Cat Stevens song from uh, the 1970s. Uh, and that was a bit more of a, a challenge, trying to find a name um, that probably would have been born around about 1870, sort of thing like that. You know, so that's, and, you know the old bits and things like that. I wanted something a bit more unusual than that. And I do like unusual names, which is why you'll find out, well, Bodkin hasn't revealed his... Um, it's a Christian name yet, and yet, which you you're, you'll understand when it when you when it does come out, either in the next book or the one I think the one after, um, why he doesn't want it to announce to the world, and that's an unusual name. And I did dig around; I really, really had to dig around for that one. But yeah, so I, no, I do the Google for the for the names lists, baby names. You know I mean, for certain years, and uh, I choose them from there. Have you given any of your serious characters a quirk in the early books that you've later regretted? Um, I could say, basically, the things that she gets up to sort of thing, right? Um, being an airhead and all the rest of it, it's not, it's not looked on these days as, um, I think it's not quite, Trace isn't PC at all. And I often look at her now and start thinking, well, oh, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, that's, and then I think, nah, just chasing, it's staying in, it's all right. Like she's always going to come out with these things and say these things. And no matter how, about, how if it upsets some people, it upsets some people. But um, Cal Calvin is probably, again, Calvin, his, the way he is, the narcissist. Um, but I didn't regret him. I, I, like I told you, I almost wrote, nearly changed him. And if I had to change him, I would have to change everything because he was in my head then. I would have to change everything from his name to the way he looked to every single thing about him, just so there was nothing of Calvin left. But then I wouldn't have had anything like as interesting a character. So, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't regret. I regret killing someone off now because she was such a fantastic character, and um, I could I could use this so much in. I won't, again, I won't say, but what I'm writing within the next few months, I've, I've just realised a few wonderful situations where she could have, because uh, she was like a, one of these anti-hero characters, you know, she's not a very nice person, but um, to say the least, but she was funny with it. And um, the way the other characters bounced off her, it worked really well. And, and 
I decided to kill her off before the book was started. And then I did it. I stuck to it and I did that. But I have regretted it. And I still regret it. And I think she should have had one more book at least uh, with her in it. And I'm not mentioning her name because I'm hoping people want to read them. So. Let's hope so. They should do. I will keep nagging anyway. It's fine. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll keep yeah, on the eight. <laughs> um, just a random question when you were writing the Tracy books were you chuckling to yourself yeah I still do I, the, the, the last two <laughs> Tracy books were written this year and um, yeah I, it's not that I don't know you see this is it I don't think about a joke and then write it that never ever happens it's just it's, I like the character go and see where she wants to Tracy especially see what she wants to do next and hence, that's why I call it what Tracy did next. Um, and it's, it's just, she puts herself in these situations and uh, situations I couldn't be putting some of man, you know what I mean? I'm just, it's just her. And she's always going to be doing this. And yeah, some of the responses that come back, especially her grand, some of the things that her grand says are out, outrageous. <laughs> uh, and I do, once I've typed it, and it's not until I've actually typed it out, or, or the thought is that I just, honestly, I, was, I can sit there and laugh laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh so so hard that it's hard to type out the words and then yeah yeah i do i do laugh i do even some of the um little things in the little nuanced things in there the amy books or unspoken uh a response to bodkin or something i'll type and just sit and laugh at what she's had to say <laughs> but it, it, it honestly is the characters who are doing this they they drive everything uh, for me it's not I, i'll just give them a situation throw that open to them and see where they want to take it. Yeah, just Tracy's are so naive, like the driver lessons and the driver lesson outfit and just, <laughs> but she's, <laughs> yeah. Tracy, Tracy came about, I didn't, um, I never met, I don't think there's anybody like Tracy alive. They won't be alive <laughs> for that long. If, but, um, um, I met, she, she came about, my, my car was uh, in dock for the week so I'd get the bus to work. And I used to all sit near the back of the bus. And um, there was used to be five girls sat on across the back of the road. They're all around about 18, 19 years old. They're all completely different characters, all of them. There was one of them who was just like Tracy, so naive. She just thought the best of everyone. She thought, you know, she, she, she couldn't see bad in anyone, no matter what they were doing or saying. There was one who was just mad about fashion, never spoke about anything else. And it was, but with her, it was the high end fashion sort of thing. With Tracy, I had to change that. So Tracy's Primark and um, Ali's Market Store. Um, and there was one in particular, and she was oh, sort of vindictive for a young girl, honestly. And she hated another girl who sat down the bus about halfway down the bus. And all she's, she spat this vitriol all the way through on the journey, sort of thing. Like so. That became, so I amalgamated all these five women into one, into Tracy, and, and this is, you know, she hates Olivia. This, she's her nemesis, Olivia. She really, really can't stand the woman, the tartar, she calls her. And this is, that all came from that, that girl on the back of the bus. The fashion came from there. The naivety came from there. Um, so I, I don't know a Tracy. I don't think, anyway, you could, I could never invent that character without, those girls sitting on that bus and I was with them all week and I couldn't wait to get on. I used to run to the bus stop, urging the bus to come so I could get my seat, so I could be near them, so I could, could hear what it was on about today. <laughs> and it was always different every day. Some of it was shocking. Some of it was absolutely outrageous, honestly. But um, it was just, I, I, had to, I had to bite my cheeks all the way through and put my hand in front of my mouth because it was just all so funny. <laughs> and I didn't steal any of their situations, but they just gave me the sort of areas to, to aim at sort of thing, you know. And the nicknames as well. The nicknames were great. <laughs> oh, God. Some of them it's are just... That's going to offend somebody, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it is mad that it's written by a guy, I must admit, because it's so nailed on to what how women think. It's scary. Yeah. Well, thank that you, look... I really appreciate it. Thank you. Like I said, my, my favourite quote of all, uh, from any review I've ever had was Trevor Wright's Like a Girl. And uh, once I read that, I thought, that's it, correct. <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. yeah. I used to worry about what women would think about it, you know. But in the in the right link groups, I, I was putting them all up as uh, individual episodes. Each email would be another individual episode, sending them up every week. I got quite a, quite a following for it. And it was, um, I realised there was, most vocal ones were, were guys, 
who used to think it was, oh, that's just funny. Yeah, yeah. We all know a Tracy. Well, something you don't, you, we all don't know a Tracy Soxley. You know, it's just, <laughs> but, um, and the women were, um, seemed to be quieter about it, but it was them who I got the best responses from at, at the end, like, you know, saying I'd got it right and what have you, which is all I needed to know. Um, so, yeah, and even now, I think 90% uh, of the Tracy audience uh, are women. Probably all, not all, lots of them, 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, not so much teenagers, but I think they can all remember being in one of those situations that Tracy was in or getting themselves into a bit of trouble that way. So, uh, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I love Tracy, I really do, but um, she's, oh. <laughs> you, I, you, you, I don't think anyone could spend more than about 20 minutes in, in her company. <laughs> no, no more than 10 with her grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm amazed I've got away with the grand, actually, but... Um, yeah, because uh, people like her, for, so it's, it's great. Although she comes out with these totally outrageous things, and uh, people people <laughs> do like her. Yeah, no, she's great. <laughs> um, you said that your characters talk to you, but do you um, see the images of what you're writing and then write it down? Yeah, it's like film clips. Um, a lot of it comes from... Um, I'm sorry if I bored anybody else who's ever read an interview with me before, but a lot of it comes from that, mm -hmm. that dimension you're in between sleep and wakefulness at night time is, you know, you've not quite dropped off yet and you still, you can hear the cat scrubbing around or whatever. Um, that's when a lot of these things come to me and, and I'm lucky in that they're still there the next morning. I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night reaching for a pen thinking, oh, we've got to write that down, like, otherwise I'll forget it. They're all still there. A lot of the characters uh, come from that, that space and quite a few of the situations as well. And, and this is it, it's like you're dreaming, but you're, you're not quite asleep. So you're seeing these moving images and, and what have you, and you see the place that uh, these people are walking in or the room that they're in and things like this. And so, yeah, that, that, the next day, I, then I'll just set about it and I'll, I'll have this picture in my head. And um, that's where they, that they all sort of interact. It's like staging a play on the TV. I just see this thing and they, they just, but the actual, what they say and what the actual, most of the actions come from the characters, how they would act. And that's the important thing. You, you can't suddenly change one of them who normally would have been plastered into sort of in the dresses. You know? So as long as they stay within the realms of their, of their character, they can do basically what they want, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and I'm surprised a lot of my books aren't sort of fantasy epic length of a thousand pages or something because I do have to sort of try and curtail them sometimes saying no stop you know you're going to save that for another book. Um, when you're editing what's your most overused word or phrase? No. Use it a lot. She didn't mind though. Um, yeah though. Um, but the worst thing is commas. I put them in all, and I, do, I find out fine after years. I find out what I do. It, my editors always get me onto me about commas. She spends most of the time removing commas, <laughs> removing commas from my from my work. Um, and the way we work, it's, it's it's a lot different to what most uh, the way most authors work. Um, the only reason I came back into doing this again after five year break uh, was I, I was ill. I was had an internal injury. And I had got infected. I was in hospital for a week on a drip. And when I came out, I was facing three months off work with just the cat and daytime TV. And that was a drip of the man. So Maureen gave me a ring and we had a chat. She said, well, you should start writing again. That will, you know, give you something to do, fill the time of my point. So, so we did that. And sorry, what was the question again? I've just taken myself way off. off track. Uh, commas. You were talking about oh, commas. commas. Yeah. So she, she asked me after, so I sent a chapter in. And then it comes back. And then I'm, while she's editing that one, I write another chapter and send that to her, and then that comes back. And that's how I could make it work, because when we decided on what on the book I was going to write, this dual timeline thing, we knew it was going to be quite a long one. Uh, and I, I've been not written a thing for five years, and everything else I've done, even the Tracy books were quite short. Uh, the kids' books were only 30,000 words. So suddenly have to write one that's like had 130, 140,000 words. It just looked like far too big a, a demand on me. I didn't know if I'd be able to do it. So she suggested, like, well, just write a chapter or two and send them to me, like, you know, stupid woman, because we're still doing the same thing now, years on, like, you know, what I mean? and I'm still doing that. Um, so, yeah, the commas, I'll put them in. I've worked out that um, 
because I know commas don't belong in those places, you know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> but I worked out what it is, and it's when I'm typing away, I'll suddenly get to a little bit and go, hmm. And then, as I think, I hit the comma for a pause and then carry on typing again. Like, it can be a split second thought, like, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, what word to use? Oh, comma. Comma. And, <laughs> and it's littered with them, absolutely littered with them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But the, the, the word I use way, way, way too often is a go for some strange reason that's, and I have to remove quite a lot of those. <laughs> interesting that's a different one um if you're able to spend a day with any author dead or alive who would you like to spend a day with um Agatha Christie she I had a question the other day about a dinner party and she was the first name I thought of uh oh such an interest I mean I could probably talk I think I've seen very few uh, interviews with her you know filmed one sort of thing but I've read quite a bit I've read autobiography and I've been watching the Lucy Worsley thing on TV at the moment about Agatha. Uh, she would just liven any any sort of thing. She is absolutely fantastic. I mean, wow. She was, there was no one like it. There still isn't. You know, her, her knowledge on... I mean, I've got one of the books down there, the one, my reference books, uh, The Poisons of Agatha Christie. You know, she used so many of them, like, you know, so... And I, I delve into that even when I'm not going to be writing about poisons. I mean, Death of Litigate was about poisons, but um, I, because it's just so interesting, uh, the, the reasons that she used the particular ones, and she knew all about it from being a pharmacist herself, you know, yeah, oh, she was fantastic. So I'd pick her brains for a few um, good ways to walk people off, that's for certain. <laughs> and who would you most fanboy over meeting if you were to meet any authors that are still alive? Until um, uh, still alive. So I'd love to have met George Orwell. Um, I think oh, he's an absolutely fantastic author. Um, a lot of the books, and Frank McCourt, I think he's probably still alive. He wrote Angela's Ashes. That is an absolutely terrific book. So a lot of the books I've put down on my list here are all they're just as much as uh, social commentaries as, as actual <coughs> stories. Excuse me, Rota Wigan Pier and Angela's Ashes, Bradley Charles, Philanthropist. I still can't say that word. Uh, all those things are down there. Uh, but um, uh, I'm just looking at my list here. Sebastian Fawkes, I've just read Birdman. It's been on my Kindle for about eight years. And, um, and I forgot it was there. And I suddenly came across it when I was scrolling through the day. And I've read that. And I've just couldn't put it down it was absolutely the prose is absolutely out of this world and and unlike a lot of these um booker prize things who they get celebrated for the prose the, the prose is actually just a, a series of thesaurus quotes sort of thing like and that's all they do they sit there and go through it and write a bigger word then a bigger word then one that might uh, make sense to him but not to me uh, a lot of poets are like that as well i'm sure they just sit there with the thesaurus and um, put the thoughts down that way uh, he doesn't. His prose is absolutely outstanding. It's beautifully written. Um, the characters are, are are all flawed in one way or another. Um, I, it's such a... Uh, I don't know. I was, I was, it's just amazing. I just couldn't believe how well he'd written it for the subject matter. And you'd think it'd be a lot darker than that. And there is a lot of dark stuff in there, but it, it's the way he writes. And it, uh, and it it really, really, really appeals to me. And I'm, I'm looking for a lot more of his books now. He's, he's gone straight to the top of my, one of my favourite authors. Yeah, I've I read that. Weirdly, after seeing it mentioned on QI, of all places, um, Alan Davis was talking about it. And even he said when he was talking about it, the whole audience was, you could hear a pin drop because mm. they were so interested in what he was saying. So I was like, mm, okay, that sounds interesting. So I read it. And yeah, I agree with everything. It is amazing. So I know about the tunnelers uh, because I'd, um, I, I wrote an article about one of them uh, from Nottingham uh, for a magazine. Oh dear, it's going back a while now. Probably about 2014, 15, something like that. Um, and he was an ex-miner who, who went and wanted him over there for, the, for this reason, tunnelling under the enemy lines and setting charges off sort of thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? But oh, it must have been horrendous work. Absolutely. And I used to work down the mines. So I know what it's like to be in the dark and, and, and what have you. And, and your battery's gone and you, you've got no light, your cap lamps off and you're, you're on your own and you don't know which way you're facing or anything. But to actually be under all those tons of, well, millions of tons of earth, 
in a, in a sort of two foot high, two foot wide tunnel, digging his way through. And he, he just described, and, and he put humour into it, and oh dear, but no, I had tears in my eyes at times when you know he was holding one of the guys who were dying, and oh, that was beautifully written, beautifully written. I recommend that anyone out there, Birdman. Yep, agreed. Oh, bird song. I'm sorry, I'm calling it Birdman. It's bird song. Bird song, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so who was your first celebrity crush? Um, I think it's probably um, Ray Davis from the Kinks. I remember being about 10. Now, I like the Beatles and I like the Stones and I liked all those groups, but him, I don't know. I, th I think it's just the lyrics. And I still, even now, I've still got a crush on him. I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's, one of the best songwriters ever. Him and Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen as well. First time I heard Leonard Cohen, I was a little bit older, probably 67, something like that. I was about 13 now. Um, and he, he, he gave me the same feeling, exactly the same feeling. And uh, and yeah, yeah, I would quite happily, if, if I, I draw the, the whole limits, but I think I'd, I'd sit there at the bedside and chat away to them for, you know, but both of them are fantastic lyricists. And uh, that's, that's something I've, I've always liked to have done, to be able to do. Right, song etc. So concise with it, but it has to mean such a lot. And it, yeah, I don't just mean the moon in June sort of stuff like Elton John does at times, sort of thing. Right, and it is a like, dedicated follower of fashion. And you, know, that, you put that into a song. And Bob Dylan's another one. Bob Dylan can squeeze a whole paragraph into one line of a song, and it's I love it. I love it. So probably Bob Dylan came at the same time as Ray Davis. So you'd have to say one of those two. Oh, and then Maria um, Callas had a woman crush on her, and I've still got it. And she's dead, but I've still got it. <laughs> uh, Favourite concert you've ever been to? Um, oh. <sighs> Hawkwind were wonderful back in 1971. They were fabulous. Um, Die Straits, I've, I've been seeing them about seven or eight times. They were wonderful as well. Saw Pink Floyd once were wonderful. It's hard to say which was the best one of the lot. Probably one of the Die Straits concerts at Birmingham. It was absolutely no perfect. Everything about it was was a great night. That was. But just more recently, I've been going to see uh, over the last since. The, um, just before I thought I took Doreen about six months before she died, I went to the opera to see Madame Butterfly because uh, I'd just gone to Maria Callas and I I, I, wouldn't, I didn't think I'd ever get into opera, and I, I knew Doreen wouldn't, but. I bought a CD and played it, and I just kept playing it, playing it, playing it, sort of thing. Like, you know, in the other room, I'd got a, a switch I could switch from the hi-fi through to the back where I sat there writing, and she could hear it. So, and she got, this was quite nice, can you push on in here, like, you know what I mean? So I did, and she got into it as well. So then we went to see the Opera North performing it. And sadly, that was the only one she ever saw. Uh, I've been to see four or five since, and saw La Traviata a few weeks ago. And I'm going to see Tosca. Uh, next March when it comes, the Opera North again into Nottingham. And I love it, absolutely. It's, it's just a spectacle. It's absolutely fantastic. But uh, as far as bands go, um, I'd probably have to say Die Straits. Um, what are your biggest bugbears, your pet bugbears. hates? Wokeism. <laughs> Political yep. correctness. I'll stop there, I think. <laughs> Nothing comes close. It just <laughs> irritates me and it annoys me so much. Every time, wherever I see it, I just you know. The, the, people get so offended so easily. Um, but it's okay for them to offend other people by what they say. And that doesn't count, apparently. So, And I think 80%, 90% of the world think the same way as I do about this, these issues. Some people, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare go out and say the things I would have said a few years ago. I wouldn't want to say some of the things I used to say a few years ago. I, I will say that because that's just the way, it's a generational thing. It's, it's what you grew up with. It's what was said and everything. Now, as I say, I, I learned uh, on my own about women's issues and what have you. And I could never understand why doing the same job didn't get the same pay. I said, absolutely. It, my first job, there was a, a girl, they were started on the same day and she got pound a week less than me. And I just couldn't work out why, because she was far better at the job than I ever was. And, you know, so, um, so I learned those things, and I learned from my mum, because my dad was great. He, he wasn't one of the nasty people, sort of thing. He, he wasn't. But they still used to have the moment, the ding-dongs and what have you like now, when she felt she'd been put upon that little bit too much, and he'd come out with something silly, like saying, where's your job? And then 
That's your job, you oh dear. So um yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, wokeism, political correctness, they're top of this and nothing comes any close close to that. So you said you've written some of the next day Amy Rollins and you're thinking of doing book four of your trilogy. <laughs> um do you know or do you have any more plans for the future? Um, I do. Um, I'd like Amy to. I, I know what happens in. It could I could squeeze it in this this bit into book three of the Amy Rowlands books. But I'd like to get a fourth one before I do this. You, you'll understand when you read it. I'll, I'll tell you off air or whatever it is. But um, so it's whether I can squeeze it into this into this book or not. Because I've got a different ending planned for it. So. Um, so there'll probably be a fourth Amy book. It, it is up there. There's, there's a couple of things. That, one like an anniversary murder, somebody's reading newspapers and, and stealing date, no particular dates that have been mm-hmm. uh, someone's wedding anniversary, someone's. And um, depending which anniversary it is, that's how they killed. Like, you know, someone's paper stuffed in the mouth and one to be hit by a lump of wood. Um, whichever anniversary of that particular one they celebrated, that's how they that's how they died, sort of thing. Like, you know, now it's probably been done before, but I've not really done the research on it. So I'll have to tweak that. There's another one called the Model Murders, or a Model Murder. I'm sorry, that's I've changed the title of it. That's Amy. She had a photograph taken in Hopes and Fears uh, by this local photographer who wanted to enter it into a competition in London, a national competition, because she's so photogenic, something. and he does. And she actually gets into the top 10. So she has to go to London to this event and it's going to be announced on the night. Well, one of the other um, models is bumped off and she's there and, and Bodkin's accompanying her just so she's got something. And so they're going to have to try and work out who did that. So so that's that sort of plan. That's going to come up. Uh, the new Amy one, I have to finish on, on the 8th or whatever, whatever date you decide to just get repeatedly send me that... Um, get on with it. Um, there's Sad Lisa, Victorian ghost story. I'm four or five chapters into that. It's only going to be end of that. Though. So because I'm 10, 12,000 words in, there's probably only about 20 to go to maybe 25. So, and I really do want to finish that, but it's, it's um, I don't know, it just keeps getting put, put to the bottom of my priority list for some reason. Like, you know, and it started out really well. Maureen loves it, the editor, so she really wants me to do more of that sort of thing. It's a bit darker. Um, book four. Uh, what happens after? I can't. I'll tell you off. <laughs> and again, what happened after? Certain characters sort of did something. Or that that has to be told. Um, I've been told that already. I get quite a lot of um, uh, messages about that when you want to know what happens to Jessica and um, Marjorie and and Alice back in the Walker she's story. Jessica's still reading the diaries from the attic and finding out what Alice did. And she's up to 1942 now, so she's still got a few years to go yet before the end of the war. But then the things, and I'm also thinking about, and I think about more and more, based in a book on the town where I live, it's an industrial town in Derbyshire called Ilkeston. And we used to have an enormous ironworks and coke ovens, and our street, Compton Street, was right in the middle. So all we got all the time was fumes coming that way, fumes coming that way, chemicals all over, and it was, well, everyone grew up with bad chests and what have you, like, you know what I mean, but it was a fantastic childhood. But some of the characters that lived with us on that, on that street, because nobody had anything, nobody had, you know, two pens stood together, you know, it was, it was really, it was a struggle. Coming up, the houses were damp and wild, there were rats, and it, was, oh, it wasn't that wonderful. But some of those characters have stayed with me. I can still remember them, especially the women. Women were so strong. I mean, the guys went to work, and like I say, it was the women who had to deal with everything, no matter what it happened, what had happened during that time. They had to deal with the Mr. The rent, they had to deal with the rent man who was coming around, they had to deal with absolutely everything. And some of those, they were so strong, they really were, and they would do anything. They would throw themselves under a bus for, for any member of their family. Like, you know, they really were that strong. They'd fight, so I've seen them do it. They'd fight somebody for it. And it was, and, and I can remember the, hearing the pubs tipping out. It used to be 10 o'clock at night, I think that's all it was back then. And looking out the bedroom window at the road towards the pub, because it was only just over there, and the men fighting, like, sort of thing, like, you know. And yet next morning, they'd all go to work together, like, you know, nodding to each other and discussing this and the other. Some of those characters are fantastic. And um, I would like to, I really would like to, to write a book based on 1950s Ilkeston, although I wouldn't be able to call it that. Um, I'd have to change the characters, quite a lot about the characters, but... Um, 
because you don't want people coming to say you're writing about me. Because I wouldn't be right. I never, I never ever use a person to, like I say, I use a tiny little bit of something from each of them and, and amalgamate them into another character. But I'd like to do that. And, that, and that's something I thought about doing uh, probably since I was in my twenties, I think. You know, so once I left, when I left the orchestra at sixteen, seventeen, and I moved back again about five years ago. Uh, and all the time I was away, this place never leaves you. You know, it just it stays with you. It's like a magnet; it just wants to keep pulling you all the time. And I love it here. It's, it's, the, the characters have not changed. It's still the same sort of people. They, they, they work hard. They play hard. They'll have a big row one night. Yeah, they'll be fine the next day. It's, it, everything's great about it. it, it it's working class people who I grew up with, um, and they've made me what I am. They, they form my character basically between them, all of them. They got their morals, their standards. Is what I look at now, and that's that's how I see life as well. So I'd like to write a book about that. I'd have to disguise it heavily. <laughs> well, I don't think I have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. Um, now the thing I've not got a lot to uh, tell them. Just Mia uh, has been very good. She's still sleeping. She's normally on the back of the chair by now, but she's been very good. And so is Trixie. See, she's not bothered to. Yeah, she came and said hello, and then she's buggered off. So, <laughs> um, do you have your books oh, at hand to show off? I want the book. I have a few. Ooh. I'll just hold them one at a time. Then. I can move my notes now. I don't need those anymore. But these wonderful covers, I don't think you can see it. Is that it? Is that fine? Wonderful covers were designed by Nikki East from Spellbound Books. And they're absolutely out this world. I've just made, I've just got a permission. I've made some bookmarks and um, some postcards using the image from the front of that. So, and they'll be coming quite soon. And I'd like to thank also Zoe O'Farrell for these wonderful Tracy's Hotmail. They've all been revamped with new covers and, and uh, Zoe O'Farrell designed them. So, and there's a fourth Tracy book coming out. Zoe's working on the cover now. Tracy's 20s Hotmail. And that will hopefully be coming out before the end of the year. So, so that's my big plug for that one. <laughs> and if anyone would like to find out more about you, where can they do so? Um, my website, I've got two, uh, trevorbellshaw.com and blog.trevorbellshaw.com. I've only got about half a dozen book reviews on there. But that's that's what I'm going to turn into a book review site, my own book review site. I'm not going to join the blog tours or anything like that. It's just in, individual particular books like uh, Birdsong. I've done a short review for that one and put it on the website. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're the, the main places. Um, T.A. Belshaw at Twitter. No one will remember all these things. but And my <laughs> own name, uh, T.A. Belshaw, author on, on Facebook. So, Brilliant. Well, that's everything. Thank you very much. Thank you, Donna. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. Really, really. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>